And good afternoon, everybody. I'm Vince, sitting here with Greg. How are you doing, Greg? I'm doing good today, Vince. We uh, talk to a lot of people about speaking and about the power of speaking. And, and really, you can't say enough about the benefits you can get if you can kind of master the idea of getting up in front of people and sharing what's on your mind. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. It's number one fear, supposedly. I still think singing in public is is more of a problem. Not for you personally, but for a lot of well, people. Well, you yes. know, yeah, but again, I understand, have a different perspective of that and, and have different experiences than, than some people. But what I've realized is, you know, public speaking and being able to speak in front of people, either whether it's one-on-one, whether it is in a group setting, a small group setting, or whether it's to a crowd, it is a skill. <clears throat> I mean, it really is a skill. It's not a... It's 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 there are some things that are innate. However, learning those things and learning how to communicate better is all skill based, which means it's learnable. You're not born with it; you create it. I think you're you're born with certain things. However, I think the public and the general understanding is off a little bit. I think people really believe like Amadeus Mozart was a talented boy, mm-hmm. and. No, he knew what he was going to do when he was three years old. So he's been, he had a 20-year jump on everybody else. Plus his father made him play constantly. Yeah, it had to be a part of him, though, that enjoyed it. Sure. I mean, I just heard Jimmy Johnson on the, on the radio talk about, you know, what's the one advice you'd give young football players? And he said, well, if you don't enjoy it, you know, it's not going to happen. You've got to be able to enjoy it because the reps are what counts. And it's the same thing with speaking. It's the reps that count. It's getting up and doing it. You know, if you want to learn how to swim, you can't read books about it. You got to get in the pool. Right. And the same thing with this. We, we can talk about things. We can give you ideas and, and new perspectives to think. But unless you get up in front of people and start speaking and, and, and stepping out and trying some things, your, your body can't adjust. And, you know, and, and you've, got to, you've got to do that to proceed and push yourself. So then there's that issue of fear. Yeah. That obstacle that kind of locks people down and keeps them stuck in a low performance area. So when we talk about fear of public speaking, are we talking about one singular problem and one singular solution? Or how do you see that kind of manifesting itself in people who want to speak, but are afraid to? I, I think there's probably a gazillion reasons why people are afraid. And I don't cover them all. I've never experienced them all. Mm-hmm. I've tried to break down why I don't have that anxiety. You know, I, I, if I'm anxious or I'm nervous, which is normal, you know, it's because I want to make sure I reach the people. I want to make sure that my time spent is well spent. Mm-hmm. It's not because I'm, I'm, I'm judging myself or afraid I won't be accepted. So it's a whole different, I, I, I honestly, um, when I go to speak, I'm, pretty well prepared and i i don't have that obstacle in my in my sights so that's different for you having butterflies or a little bit of nervousness is it different than actual stage fright i think that you know the one thing that's interesting i've been lucky enough to meet some some outstanding athletes in my life and when i talk to them about number one you know how hard did you have to work to get where you were at they all like have a story to tell I mean, if you see somebody that's best at their game or best at what they do, they have put the reps in. They have put the blood, sweat, and tears in. You know, don't think that they just woke up one morning and they went, oh, my gosh, Tom Brady, you're going to be the greatest football player ever. You know, he works his rear end off. He busts his butt Mm -hmm. every day. He puts more time in than probably any quarterback on that field. That's why he's able to play at his age. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah. So the idea of being competent is important, but it occurs to me that there could be somebody who is a really bad speaker, but is able to get in front of people because they have that confidence. They don't, they don't really care necessarily. They're just not afraid. And there are people who have something to say and may be well-spoken, but are still afraid to kind of get up in front of the mic. Yeah. You know, the number one the number one excuse I hear, or the number one reason, I don't know, I want to say excuse, I don't want to offend anybody, that's not my, my, my point sure. here. Um, the number one reason people say is, I don't know people, if I don't know people, I get I get upset, I get scared, I get frightened because I don't know them. It's like a stranger danger thing. Yeah, yeah. And we, I have a great friend, his name is uh, 
Scott Mann. Scott Mann is a lieutenant colonel, retired. Uh, was a Green Beret for the United States Army mm-hmm. and had several tours in Afghanistan. Well, if you know about the Green Berets, Green Berets are dropped behind enemy lines and they are forced to negotiate and get to know the enemy and get the enemy to work with them so they can fight their common enemy. Mm-hmm. And so your communications are life and death. Now, I don't know anybody that's listening to this broadcast. It, the next conversation they have, they have to be worried about whether they're going to live or not. Okay, this is let's hope these, not. these are high stakes communications. So they have to understand human beings. So I asked him, you know, how what, what's something about all human beings that's absolutely similar? And he said, Well, all human beings are meaning seeking. In other words, all human beings look for meaning in everything. And if you think about it, what do you do when somebody starts telling you a story? You're you're looking for the meaning, you're looking for what it's about. Right. And if they don't tell you that, you get confused. Your brain doesn't know what to do with it. You're always looking for meaning. And we're meaning-seeking. Mm-hmm. We're emotional. So we have to use emotions. We cannot make a decision as a human being without using emotions. And people with logic or logical people say, oh, that's not true. That's not true. I said, yes, but you have to be confident in your logic, don't you? And that's an emotion. That's an emotion. Hello. Right. <laughs> and, and this idea of not being able to make decisions without emotion, that's not an opinion of yours. That's actually been no, studied. No, that's scientific study. And there's actually been cases where uh, that, that part of the brain has had a problem with cancer and it's been removed. And that person's life goes, to, goes away because they can't make a decision about anything. Okay. And, and then the last one is social. In other words, we are wired to collaborate and work with other human beings we're wired for it if you know there's been many studies done the reason the human race and if that's offensive the animal creatures it's called we call humans okay (laughs) that particular facet of it is why we're the dominant species because we're able to collaborate and work together and it's wired in our dna it is who we are we literally our brains shut down completely if we're in isolation I mean, there's no contact with any other human being, we will absolutely perish. It, it actually shuts our brain down, and there's lots of studies on that. And so you have three things. You have meaning-seeking, you have emotional, social, and I want to add story animals. We're story animals. We have to think and learn in narrative. We always put things in narrative. And when we don't have a narrative or a story behind what we're learning or what we're seeing, we will either, number one, create what's missing, we will dismiss it because it's not useful, or it gets stuck. And then it's stuck in our short-term memory. And that can last a long time until we find meaning for it or we find what was the purpose for it. That's all important. So if you know this about all human beings, now listen, this is what Scott told me. If you understand this and learn this, you'll have, a, you'll have an advantage over 99% of the human race. That's huge. Nobody really understands that or takes the time to understand that. But you will understand all human creatures, all human animals, if you understand their meaning-seeking, emotional, social, story creatures. You get that. You wrap your head around it. You start thinking like that when you get in front of anybody. No one's a stranger. So you can establish rapport quickly. Yeah. If Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and and... Another thing too is you know I always people go oh I don't I don't know what I'm going to talk about I don't I don't know what I'm going to say well I'm going to tell you there is actually a solution for it there's actually a formula that you can learn and I can teach you that when you understand this and when somebody asks you to speak or you're supposed to speak you answer these three questions you will never worry about what to say okay and this works for everything. This works for everything. Okay. Yeah. And so those three questions are? Well, should uh, should I expose that now? Yeah. Or uh, we could save it for another podcast if you'd like. Yeah. I think I think we're going to wait till next week. Oh, podcast. got a little tease here. Yeah. yeah. This, will, this uh, will give you something to come back next week yeah, for. Yeah, I think, I think getting your head around what we talked about here, right. about meaning-seeking, emotional, social story animals, I think that is something to contemplate over the next week. So that's all of us. We're all the same. So in that regard, you're really never speaking to strangers. You're just speaking to another version of you that has yeah. different experiences. Yeah, and they're looking for those things. They people people don't you think at some level people want to connect? It's not like oh, you got to uh, sell it to them. It, it, it's in their DNA. It's just like we want to breathe. 
We have to breathe. We have to connect. We have to connect. There's no choice. Yeah, no choice. So you just have to find the way. So the uh, homework here for anybody listening is to arm themselves with this knowledge. Mm -hmm. And the next time they're feeling uncomfortable or a little nervous about speaking in front of others, remember that we're all in this meaning-seeking, emotional, social, storytelling boat. Right. We are. Absolutely. All, all the same. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. And, and, and don't forget next week, we're going to talk about the three questions you ask. So you will never have to worry about another talk again. No more writer's block content will come to you. You, you will know what you need to do or you will know what you cannot do. Just as important. Yes. And you can turn it down. All right. So All right. until then, join us on vocalcatalyst.com. In the meanwhile, we'll see you next week on Speak Like a Pro. Subscribe to the podcast and join us again next week for Speak Like a Pro. Make sure you also check out our website, gregsmithleadership.com, where you'll find information on Greg's groundbreaking book, Speak Like a Pro Without Looking Like a Jackass, and sign up for our newsletter. Until next week, remember, great speaking is a skill, and skill is built through practice. So get out there and speak like a pro. Hello and welcome to all you meaning-seeking, emotional, social creatures. If you were with us last week, you know exactly what we were talking about. Greg, this was a concept that you got introduced to by our good friend Scott Mann. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we added that word of story animals, too. We added that uh, that our, our brains are narrative in thought. And if we don't put it in story format, we, um, of course, are going to be forgotten. So hopefully people could see this as a way to overcome any lingering stage fright they may have. Because really, anytime you're talking to a group of people, whether you've met them or not, you're all in the same tribe. Yeah, and I, and I think it's one angle. I mean, everybody has a different type of stage fright. Some have phobias. Some have don't really know how to organize content. Some really don't know what to talk about. Some think everybody's judging them, which is absolutely true because you judge everybody too. So let's just... That, that's a fact. You know, it, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a whole uh, a multitude of reasons why. This is just one, and I think it's a big one, understanding other humans, and, and they're just like you. It's a good mental frame because it yeah. certainly beats the idea of, just, well, just go out and do it. Absolutely. Just sweat through it and, and work through it. You yeah. could do that, but that's a mm -hmm. lot tougher. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So we, we talk about judging people. Obviously, that happens. But as speakers, I think mm -hmm. sometimes you want to judge the speaking opportunity. And that's you teased us a little bit at the yeah. end of the last podcast talking about how to decide what to speak about and when to speak. Yeah, and, and usually what happens is somebody comes to you and says, you know, would you, would you mind speaking for us? Or would you mind doing a presentation on something? And, and it, it really um, it comes down to three questions. And it's it's what's your objective what what do you want me to talk about what what is your objective for me to speak what what is what is the reason what is the objective they have to be able to answer that question you know so if i say uh you know what is your objective for me to speak and they say you know we're we're having a a dinner for uh, uh the scouts and we'd like you to speak about um help us raise some money. I say, okay, okay, I, I think I could do that. Well, uh, what else are your objectives? Well, we want to, you know, increase what we did last year. I said, okay, I, I understand that. Um, and uh, what what else? He said, well, um, you know, I, I think we have to, uh, you're really good at, you know, that your patriotic stories you tell are really good, and we'd like you to bring one of those out and then tie it to the scouts and, and tie it to our values and who we are. And I, you know, good, I can do all that. Now, the, the next question you ask, mm -hmm. okay, first question is what are your objectives? Objectives. If okay. they can't answer that question, it's over. Right there. Right there. Done. It's over. You just, if they don't know what they want, you can't deliver it. It's, it would be really self-defeating to kind of suggest what those objectives should be to them. It's their speech, right? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you, <laughs> How do you provide a solution for somebody if they don't know what the problem is? Right. I mean, they they need you for a reason. If they don't know why they need you, they don't need you. 
It's not just to fill time. Yeah, it, it's 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 it shouldn't be, and if that's all it is, then no one's gonna be paying attention to you anyway. Got it. So it's just a waste of your time. So I'm just saying they have to know their objectives. Okay, so no objective, no deal, no deal. Or if their objective is something like, you know, we want you to talk about, you know, the safest way to skydive, and I'm gonna be like, well, I don't skydive. Well, you know, look, research it and look it up, and just tell us about it. And I said, no, 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 I don't, I don't skydive. I have no way of helping you there. You know, no way of doing that. And and that's a fact, too. If you can't do it, don't do it. If it's not in your expertise, don't do it. And don't think you can read on it and just give it. Because here's what happens. You you can be a very good reader, a very fast learner. You can learn it. You can get up on stage, give a little talk, and then somebody has to have a, have a question for you. Mm-hmm. And guess what? You have no depth of knowledge. You have, you have not. It's not learned behavior. It's read behavior. And you, all of a sudden, you look bad. And that's got to feel pretty uncomfortable when you're there it's, and all of a sudden the facade comes down. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. And, you know, if you, if you don't, you know, if that happens to you, you always say, well, I'll have to find out and get back to you. Or you refer to somebody else in the room that might know what they're, ta- they're talking about. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to be put in that position if you don't have to. You sure. want to be the expert in the room. And that, that just always works well. Now, the second question. Let's get to the second question. Right. second question is, how do you measure success? In other words, after I'm done, after I've given my talk, I've, I've hit the objectives, hopefully, that you've said. How do you measure whether the, the objectives have been met? How do you measure success? And that, you know, that person you know, might have a multitude of different reasons or what it is, but they have to have a measure for what it is. And they might say, well, our donations went up, because you know, we were talking about the, the scouts. Our, our donations went up. You know, well, how much do they need to go up? Get specific. You the, want it specific. I think the more specific you get, the you, you know you can target what you're supposed to do. If it's broad, then it. Uh, but if they say we want to, and it, especially if it's 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 qualitative versus quantitative, you know, right? You know that you can hit numbers. You know, uh, quality. You know, all the soft stuff that's hard to measure becomes really difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I want everybody to feel good. Uh, okay. <laughs> what are you going to do, a survey before yeah, and after yeah. the speech? How, I mean, how many times do they have to laugh during the speech? Right. Anyway, so if they say, well, we want the donations to double. Okay, that, that's, a, that's a high task, so I'm going to probably want to do some research and find out what they did the year mm-hmm. before. But you see how it drives what you're going to do. Right. You know the measures. It starts to bring clarity to the equation. It, it does. And again, if they can't measure success, if they can't tell you what success looks like, don't do the talk. Okay. So, O objective M measurement. Yes. Either step is a no-go if they can't answer that. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Third, if I do the objective, mm-hmm. if I hit the measures that you want hit, what value is that to you? What value is that to you? And it, it, this isn't a money question. This is a values question. Because I'm sure a lot of people hearing that would think, okay, that's dollar science. How much do mm-hmm. you pay me for this? You're right. It, it's it's not. Okay. It, it, it is basically, well, you know, I'll feel fulfilled or I'll feel I've accomplished something or I'll have met my purpose. Like those kind of things are huge. That Those are big words. Or if, if they say this magic line, it means everything to me. Wow. Okay. You, you can name your price, by the way, when that happens. Sure. I'm just saying. Um, but when they say that, you've got to go to them. Okay. Well, what does that exactly mean? Will will fulfill me. It will fulfill what I'm supposed to do. Oh, okay, I get that. You know, it, it could be a lot of different things. Again, if they can't answer that question, do not do the talk. They can't tie it to anything that yeah. means anything to them. So whenever somebody comes to you and says, Greg, we'd like you to speak to our group, yeah. mm-hmm. you go through this process? You do Absolutely. this interview? Absolutely. And I also do it to myself if I want to do something or present something. When you're the host. When, when I'm the host, it's my, it's my program. Okay. Like, what are my objectives? How am I going to measure success? What value is it to me? If I can't answer those questions, I shouldn't be doing it. Interesting. Because then, there, then there's no magnetism. So you've been on both sides of this. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. It works on everything. And it, it, it's extremely powerful. And that's why I'm saying you'll never have to worry about what, you, what they want from you or what you need to talk about. Sure. Because unclear expectations really, is a, yeah. it's a bad way to start. It always is. And you're going to find yourself wanting to be a pleaser, mm-hmm. and you'll really sell out your values and say anything you can on that stage that you think will move the needle, just yeah. so your gig is successful. Right. Right. In, in fact, it was interesting. I was talking to a, a friend today, and they were talking about their 
their their troupe, their comedy troupe, and three of the four members of their comedy troupe always lay out what they're going to be doing. The fourth one always goes, oh, I just like to you know, feel the crowd and just do what we're supposed to do. And they said, we don't know how to ring up, reel them in. And I said, oh, just, I said, simple. Ask him if he has anything in his refrigerator. She goes, well, what do you mean? Well, does, does he have anything in the refrigerator? Does he just wait till he's hungry and then go find food? <laughs> or does he prepare and have something so he knows he's going to be hungry so there's food in the refrigerator? I mean, you have to prepare. And the only way to prepare is to kind of have an idea of what you want or what's desired or what's mm-hmm. needed. When you go to the store, you just don't go, oh, just throw some stuff in the cart. You actually pick specific items to put in your refrigerator. It's about being strategic. It is. It, it, it's being prepared. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody, when you're going to go give a talk or for whatever reason, you need to know the objectives, you need to know the measures, and you need to know the value. Now, beyond just either accepting it or rejecting it, have you seen your speeches change from before you did this OMV process to now? I'd say my speeches have been extremely successful since I've been using it. Mm-hmm. And I've turned some down because of one or two reasons. One is I can't do what they want me to do and don't ever do that to yourself. And the second one is, you know, um, they can't answer the questions. That's a tough one. I had one once where the the person didn't know the value of it to them. And I said, well, I can't do this. And they go, why? I said, because you don't even know what it means to you. I mean, when you figure it out, let me know. I mean, it's important. And I know there's somebody listening to this who is just dying to get out there and speak and doesn't want to say no because they've been waiting for that opportunity. But you're saying have that discipline. You have to do this. I'm just telling you it just makes your life easier. And then, of course, the next question is... Content. What do you speak about? How do you develop that? Right. And, 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 you know, again, we're running out of time this week, so we're probably going to have to go over that next week of how do you structure a talk? What What do you do? And, you know, what I really like to do, and I'm going to try to arrange this, is uh, let's get Kimberly Weil on the phone. Ah. And the story expert. Yes. And because you have to learn story. You have to understand story and narrative, mm-hmm. really, before you get structure. So we pretty much have the next two weeks laid out here. Let's let's work on getting Kimberly either next week or the week after, and and then we'll uh, talk about structure, too. So these, this, is, this audience is going to have a good, good tool belt here in the next – in a month's worth of time. I'm looking forward to it. Sounds like a plan. All right, sir. We'll see you next week. Welcome to Speak Like a Pro. You know, just like with blockbuster movies or best-selling novels, great talks begin with a really good story. And that's not accidental. Good storytelling takes skill and knowledge. And we have somebody on the line who is a sought-after coach in this area. She is an expert on short-form, high-stakes storytelling. We are speaking with Kimberly Wild from Santa Barbara, California. Kimberly, welcome. Hello and welcome to the two of you. This is so exciting to be on this call tonight. Thank you for joining us. Now, Greg, you've worked with Kimberly for a while. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how she came into your life and what she's added to your practice as a speech coach? Oh, I just think it's total grace (laughs) 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 and and blessings. Kimberly and I have known each other probably, what would you say, about seven years, eight years now? Yes, I think so. And, And... You know, we just started working together, and really, Kimberly's specialties are very complementary to my specialties, and I just really love going to her seminars and being a part of her master's circle and, and learning as she pushes herself to uh, the limits of, of knowledge in short-form, high-impact talks and short-form stories. She's just amazing. Yeah, Kimberly, will you explain that concept, the whole idea of short-form, high-stakes Sure. And Greg's making me blush here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, my world is focused on talks where everything's on the line, where things matter significantly. And when we are giving talks and speeches, when everything's on the line, oftentimes we don't have a lot of time to get our points across. What I found in my work is If you can tell a short story in three minutes, two minutes, one minute, you can affect change in someone's life. And in some cases, we're seeing that these stories create massive change in the audiences that hear them. And so whether you're, say, raising money for a nonprofit, if you tell a short story, that is one of the quickest ways in the world 
to build trust. Who would you say this skill is necessary for, Kimberly? I mean, are we talking simply for orators, people who actually make a living, actually on a podium, speaking to large crowds? I would say that this is this is for anyone who speaks in front of people. So this may be your CEO of your organization and you're speaking to the board. Or let's say you're the chief marketing officer and you're having an all-hands meeting and you're speaking to your staff. Or you are an employee with an idea that you believe can change the organization. So anytime you're speaking, whether it's one-on-one or one-on-several or one-on thousands, these short stories can affect change. So I want to hear from both of you. What got you initially interested in this idea of story? Because it's a little different. I mean, there are lots of people who learn about making speeches and they think about voice and overcoming stage fright and whatnot. But you two are fascinated with the idea of story. And I want to get a little bit of a sense of why that is. Well, story, I mean, the earliest cave drawing is a story. It's 35,000 years old. And we as human beings think in narrative. If you really think about it, when I start a story and I don't give the setting or tell you where it's about, you'll be like, wait, 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 where is this? What, what's happening? What, what's going on? Or if I don't tell you the conclusion and it's a really good story, you're like, wait, what happened? What happened? You need all the parts of the story or your brain can't process it. So one of three things I think will happen. One is you make up what's missing you dismiss it or it gets stuck in short-term memory. And, and Kimberly, for you, is there, was there something that brought you into this, this fascination with story? I've been obsessed with story for many, many, many years. And working in the TED and TEDx world, what I have observed over many, many years is that the speakers who use story as a part of their talk, those most often are the speakers who are the most effective. And so I, I saw patterns over the years and years and years of how story really can motivate humans to do things, to adopt a new perspective, to have a mindset shift, to create a new habit. This is all possible through story. And so I just became very, very obsessive with story and started studying different story formats and started reading about story and and looking at the science behind story and, and everything I could get my hands on because I see the power that it has. Uh, Cecil B. DeMille says that the greatest art in the world is the art of storytelling. Mm, I like that a lot. Now, you both coach. What is it that you, do you have a little nugget for anybody listening that could help them be a better storyteller? Is there is there one, I, I don't want to say tip because that kind of minimalizes it, but is there something quick that people can do that will improve their storytelling capabilities? Well, I, I'd love Kimberly to go over the, the, the five different parts of story if she would do that because I think that's, that's, that's key. And, and for me, the, the only thing I'm going to say about story from, from my perspective is you need all five parts and you don't tell unresolved stories. You don't get on stage and, and dump your garbage on people per, per se. You know, you, you have to have resolve. You have to have figured it out. And that's when you're a champion for what you're talking about. That That's my caveat. But I'd love to, love to have Kimberly uh, answer that question because I think she's going to nail it. Well, no pressure. Uh, First, my go-to answer to that would be start with story. Let's say you're interviewed on a podcast, start with story. Let's say you're giving a keynote, start with story. Let's say you're addressing your board, start with story. Let's say you're doing a company all hands, start with story. When you can start with story, it builds trust in the audience more quickly than anything else, as I said earlier. And it is really true. Watch what happens when you start with story, even when you don't want to do it anyway and see what happens in your audience. As a student of story, I have studied a lot of different formats for stories and there's incredible formats out there, including one of my favorites, which is the hero's journey. And many of you listening will likely know the hero's journey of Joseph by Joseph Campbell. And you can read all about that and read books on it. And it's very in-depth. 
and great for longer storytelling. However, when you only have three minutes or two minutes or one minute to tell a story, I started hunting for a format that would work across the board for everyone I was working with, and I couldn't find it. So I invented it. And here it is. I will share that with the listeners today so that you can actually put this into play and craft your own stories using my methodology um, because this is the essential elements for storytelling. And if you walk through these five parts of storytelling, you'll have your audience engaged the entire time. Here we go. Step one is setting. We need to know where you are, what's happening, and who's there. Introduce us to the characters. If you think about it, when you go to in the movies and the movie opens up, you're in a world and you start to get familiar with the world and soon you're familiar with the characters. That's what we want you to do with your stories. Take us into a world, take us into a moment in time, as opposed to a long history and a long background audiences don't want that. Not not in a short form story. They want to get to the good stuff fast. So set us up. Where are you? What's happening and who's there? So that's the setting. Step two is what I call snap. That is the first unusual thing that happens. This comes from improv training. And in improv, usually the funny bits are the first unusual thing that happens on stage. And and in storytelling, it's the same thing. So you're in a world, you take us into a world rather, we get to know what is happening in that moment and something changes. The base reality changes. Your setting is that base reality and The snap is that unusual thing that has occurred. So that's step two. Step three is the struggle. So after that unusual thing happened, now you're into that conflict, that struggle. And the struggle might be something that happens in your mind. So you're thinking, oh, should I say yes to the marriage proposal or no? Should I move across the country and accept the job offer or not? Should I stand up for what I believe in or not? Should I speak out at this meeting or not? The struggle can be internal. The struggle can also be something external that happened to you. You were in an accident or something Something happened to you. But that struggle is what the audience likes the most. They want to admit this, but it's what they like. We go to the movies because we want to be taken on an adventure and have an experience. And along the journey, there is always struggle. And if you don't have struggle, you don't have a story. This one thing happened and then this other thing happened, this other thing happened. And that is not a story. That's just a bunch of facts. But we want that struggle. So you've got to have struggle. That's step three. Step four is shift. Once you're in the struggle, at some point, you make a decision. And you say no more, or you say, I'm going to say yes, or say no, or I'm going to raise my hand or send that email or something is going to happen that shifts you out of the struggle. And that is step four. So you are, you're leaving the struggle and you've made a decision. Step four. And then finally, step five is success. And it's not what you normally think of success as being success in this context, is the lesson you learned or the insight you gained from going through this experience. So the success is that that kind of looking back and based on this thing happening, this is what you now know, or this is what you now believe, or this is what, based on going through this experience, this is what you've gained as a result. So there you have it, the five S's of short-form storytelling. That's a complete blueprint. You could follow that and mm-hmm. have a complete soup to nuts beginning to end story. Yes. Now I know, now I know Kimberly, you, you can tell our audience how they can get in touch with you, with your website. And I believe you also have some, some nice uh, tantalizing resources <laughs> for story that they can can also access, if I'm correct. Yes, that's absolutely right. And they're free. On my website, it's Kimberly.com, and it's spelled K-Y-M-B-E-R-L-E-E, Kimberly.com. 
And right on the homepage there, you just scroll down and you can sign up, get the short form story methodology for free. There's videos on it. There's a downloadable worksheet, infographic on it, a whole bunch of stuff. And you can just have at it and start to build your storytelling muscles. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Kimberly, please come and join us again sometime. We definitely are running long in this segment, but we'd love to have you back again if you could do that with us. It would be my pleasure and honor. Excellent. Kimberly Weil, speaker coach extraordinaire, joining us from (laughs) Santa Barbara, California. Thanks, Kimberly. Welcome. Have a great night. You know, let's uh, let's let's bait him for next week, Uh, Vince. I think we're going to talk about speech structure next week. There's actually structure to speeches, too. You know, we know we now know there's going to be a story and maybe stories in your talk. However, how do you structure that talk so people's brain can follow you or the do's and don'ts? And that's next week. That's next week on Speak Like a Pro. Join us then. We'll see you then. Subscribe to the podcast and join us again next week for Speak Like a Pro. Make sure you also check out our website, gregsmithleadership.com, where you'll find information on Greg's groundbreaking book, Speak Like a Pro Without Looking Like a Jackass, and sign up for our newsletter. Until next week, remember, great speaking is a skill, and skill is built through practice. So get out there and speak like a pro. Hello and welcome. Good to have you with us on the podcast today. A uh, quick note before we launch into today's topic, which is the structure of speeches. I want to refer you back to our earlier podcast, which would be edition 1.3 for anybody following it through on the SoundCloud volume. Uh, that was when we had a chance to speak to Kimberly Weil, speech coach from Santa Barbara, California, a good associate of Greg's. With the five S's of story structure, story being an important part of speech. And Greg, the five S's really were a revelation because it really gives you a good idea of how to make that story work. Yeah, you, you have to have it. The, the brain's a narrative brain, and it's conditioned to have those five elements in it. Or it literally ignores it, fills in the gaps with its own information, or it gets stuck. Let's run them down for the folks who uh, might have missed it or would like a little refresher because this is really good information. It's a blueprint for a successful uh, Absolutely. story. Absolutely. You know, number one is setup, right? Mm-hmm. And a setup is for setting the scene, like who's involved, what's happening, what's going on in this normal world we had before the snap, which is the second step. Snap happens, the world flips, something changes in the world, it's no longer the same. And then you go into struggle. What was the struggle? Now, here's the one all the speakers and all the people in the world are afraid to talk about it, but it's what everybody pays attention to. Right. Again, nobody goes to the end of the game. They watch the entire game. Everybody slows down at the accident. They want to see the struggle. People love the struggle. We need a little drama. Don't leave the struggle out. Hello, audience. Don't leave the struggle out. Struggle. And then you have when... You've learned what you need to learn. You've done what you need to do, or you decided to look at things completely different. That's your shift. That's when it comes back to a new reality, and that new reality is the success. However that is, it's, it's the resolve you have. So, again, you have setup, snap, struggle, shift, success. And, again, go back and listen to that episode uh, and memorize it. That is one you do not want to forget. And that'll help you with really any story that you want to use in any setting. And Kimberly talks specifically about uh, TED Talks. TED speakers use this. This is part of the formula. Well, anybody that anybody that makes an impact in the world uses this, period. Because our brains are in narrative. Either speak in narrative or you'll be, you'll be ignored. So there is a difference between the story and potentially a speech. We know that the speech needs the story. That's an important element. Mm-hmm. But speeches or talks, whatever term you like best, in and of themselves need a structure. They're not Absolutely. just... They're not just one big story. Yeah. They could be, but you'd have to have structure within the story. Sure. Yeah. You know, the number one thing, which is very interesting, you know, we, we talked about OVM, if you remember, and I think that was episode two. two that was episode yes. two. We talked yep. about... OMV, OMV, objectives, measures, and, and, and values. Right. Once you know your objective, that is your conclusion, right? That's where you want to bring your audience. So that's where you start. That's why that OMV is so important. You've got to know where you want your audience to end up. Now, not just end up. What do you want them to feel? Hello, number one, feel. We are feeling creatures, right? Right. Emotional 
creatures. If there's not emotion there, if you don't have control of that emotion in the end of your talk, they can go anywhere. Do you want, if, do you want them motivated? Do you want them hungry? Do you want them curious? Do you want them fearful? What do you want them emotionally to be at the end of your talk? You've got to make that decision. Because if your brain knows where you want to take them, then your brain will get them there. All right, so just to be clear now, we're, we're talking about as you get ready to structure your speech. Before you even write anything down, you've got to make this decision. So you, you're, you're not starting at the beginning. You're not starting with, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. No, that's, no, no. This, you're starting at the very, very end. When you turn off the mic or you drop the mic, let's hope, you know, <laughs> right. when you're done, what is that audience feeling? What are they thinking, and what are they going to do? Think, feel, do. Absolutely critical. If you or I go on holiday, right, Yep. or vacation, depending on where your audience is, right, what do we need to do? We need to figure out where we're going. You don't just say, hey, honey, let's go on vacation or holiday. And what's our next question? Where are we going? Right. I need to prepare. I need to pack. Right? I don't know. We'll just figure it out as we go. That's not going to fly. Never does. Guess what? It doesn't fly with a speech either. You've got to know the conclusion. What do you want them to think, feel, and do at the end of your talk? Then you build it backwards. You literally build it backwards. Then you go, that's your conclusion. You're tying it down, right? Right. Then you go to your body, the body of your talk. The body of your talk are three, five, seven, or nine points. And the reason I use odd numbers is for some reason the brain likes odd numbers. We do. We've all heard of that rule of threes. We just right. Yeah, four, four works too. Four works too. Sure. Four digits. Three and four digits are great. You know, that's how phone numbers that's are, your phone right? Number, right? Right, yeah. So if you can, what you want to do is find three or four points, maybe five if you need to, okay? And, you know, you can go on whatever you need. But what are the points that support what the conclusion is? What do you, it's not, what what do you need to support the argument? What do what the conclusion points need to be? How do you get in there? What's the yellow brick road that gets them to where you want them to go? And they need to be in parallel, you can't be confusing the brain and talking about pitfalls and then benefits and then and then um, rules. I mean, what are they? Are, what is the umbrella that everything is under, under one word, under one line, under a parallel universe that all fall in the shape that builds your argument for your conclusion? Okay. okay? Does yep. that make sense? That makes sense. And then you have your introduction. How do you get them interested in what you're going to talk about? How do you prove your credibility in what you're going to talk about? Mm-hmm. And that's how you build it. You build it backwards. You also have to know your audience. How do you gear it and and bring it in and introduce it so you have some commonality and why they would care about what you're talking about? You need to find that commonality. So that's a little bit of research you have to do to figure out who you're talking to. Right. So you could tailor. Right. I mean, do you remember the one time we had a speech? We, we worked on a speech and we worked on it, I would say, a good month. And we show up, and we forgot to ask the question. We assumed it was adults. That's and, right. And it was all eighth graders. It was all kids. <laughs> yep. So luckily, we were able to do some changes, and it worked. It did work. But it could have been a, a disaster. Well, I think it worked because you still knew where you wanted to bring them at the end. You may have had to make some changes in getting there. You may have had to make it more age-appropriate. And get them there perhaps through a different path than you would have with adults, but you still went back to structure. Right. Yeah. If the structure is not there, I would, I would have been in big trouble. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. So again, let's repeat this. What do you, what's your end in mind? What do you want to end? Think, feel, do. Think, then feel, you do. work backwards. What, what points will bring them to that conclusion and that feeling? How do you, mo- how do you bring them there? And then the introduction is how do you get them interested in the first place? Right. And there's, and we've talked before about kind of that opening line, that headline, if you will, whether mm. you want to elicit a sense of curiosity, whether you want to shock. I mean, there are lots of different ways you can kind of get people yeah. engaged. And there's, I mean, you can just try to open a speech. You can just look. I mean, there's no really bad way to do it other than, hi, my name is, I mean, oh my gosh, please don't do that to people. If somebody's not introducing you and they don't know who you are, at least open up with a story, and then tell them who you are, and then get into yeah. your points. But don't open up with that. Your first and last thing shouldn't be thank you or hello. 
Because everybody does that. Don't be common. Right. Well, and you make that point in the book as well, that if you're speaking, it's not being kind of full of yourself to have somebody introduce you. It's a service for the audience. It's, mm. it's, it's basically, it's the setting, as we talked about. Yeah. Let somebody else set up, and then you come in and really- But if that doesn't happen, do your setting into the speech, not at the beginning. Gotcha. Start with story. Captivate them with story. Get the story going. It takes two minutes. Look, talk to any professional- disc jockey, a DJ in the world, and they will tell you it takes them between th- between a minute to three minutes to get the audience into a particular rhythm. Yes. Once they do that, they basically work that rhythm throughout everything they do. They don't jump around. They know exactly what they're doing. Ask any band, any performance. When they come out, they've got to read the audience. They've got to get in tune with the audience, but it takes a little bit of time for it to to jive. And depending on who's speaking in front of you, Mm -hmm. could take a little bit longer. All right? right? But if you don't have a story to captivate the mind, which is, again, once upon a time, I want to tell you a story. When... When those kind, when people know it's a story, their minds go whoop story, right? Right. And then if it if it captivates them, you got them, and then it's just a, and then you just take them on the ride. So these sound like good general rules for structure. Would they work for all types of speeches? I'm thinking specifically now of whether you're trying to give, let's say, a persuasive speech, mm. or you want to give an informational speech. Those are right. two different animals, right? And and really, here, here's a rule of thumb for you. If it's persuasive, okay, if it's a persuasive speech, the body of your speech is persuasive. It's if informative speech, the body of your speech is informative. The beginning is always an introduction. There has to be a little bit of persuasion in it. And you say, well, I work for NASA, and we have, you know, we don't, we don't persuade. Uh, yes, you do. Sure. You, you you tell people where your data came from. You don't say, I was thinking in the shower today, why don't we do this? That doesn't work. You have to have data. And that data is your introduction for people to know where you're coming from. You talk to doctors, you better tell them where your research is and where your site, where, what you're citing and have some uh, white papers to show them when you're done. You've got to give re- people a reason to buy it. You've got to give credibility. Yep. You've got to give a yeah, the reason. What's the buy-in? What's the tie-in? Why do I care? So that why do I care has to be in the beginning. And then you can be persuasive or informative in the body. You can't do both. If you do both, you'll confuse the mind. Talk to me about that a little bit because some people, I know every, when people write speeches, they want to throw in everything. It doesn't work. The, 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 absolutely, the more focused you are, the more powerful you become. The more kitchen sink variety you have, the less powerful you become. So when you can really dial something in really tight and really support it, it's, it's amazing. I mean, uh, I remember Brendan Bichard saying, a book is just a simple thought expanded out to 30,000 words. <laughs> and, and that's what it is. Yeah. If it's 10 simple thoughts, the mind can't track it. You've got to track. People want to build a, it's a bigger story of smaller stories. Really. That is what a book is. A speech is the same thing. So, again, persuasion or informational in the middle. And then at the end, if it's a persuasive speech, you better tell them what to do with that. If it's informative, you better tell them what to do with it. you got to give a little bit of instruction of what people need to do at the end. You're talking specifically about a call to action. Yes and no. Sometimes it's not specifically go buy my thing. Sometimes it's just how do I use this information I just learned? Okay. What do I do with it? Now what? Now what do I do? How does this change my thinking about the world? Why does this change right. my position in the world? Right. Like, what do I do? And, and give them some ideas. They don't have to follow you, but give them some ideas. Because if you, you'll be done, they'll be like, well, what do I do with that? They, they don't know. You've got to give them some ideas. There's a very few people in the audience that already have been thinking, and sometimes they do. Mm-hmm. But give them a little bit of something. Sure. You don't want to get them all excited and motivated and then leave them flat. Right. Absolutely not. All right. Well, that is how we structure speeches. So there's some basic information about speech structure. If you'd like more information, of course, check out Greg's book, Speak Like a Pro. And now for next week, Greg, what do we have? I think physicality. Let's start talking about what you do and how you move on stage. Because there, there are different ways to move on stage that really help people digest, learn, and remember your talk. Excellent. Excellent. 
That's next week on Speak Like a Pro. Subscribe to the podcast and join us again next week for Speak Like a Pro. Make sure you also check out our website, gregsmithleadership.com, where you'll find information on Greg's groundbreaking book, Speak Like a Pro Without Looking Like a Jackass, and sign up for our newsletter. Until next week, remember, great speaking is a skill, and skill is built through practice. So get out there and speak like a pro. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us on the Speak Like a Pro podcast. If you've been following us, and we certainly hope that you'll take advantage of the archive, uh, which you'll find on gregsmithleadership.com. Last week, we spoke about structure. Obviously, you can't just go to the podium and talk. You need to have some sort of structure. And now that you have an idea what you want to talk about, how do you present it? So we're going to get into that with Greg now and talk a little bit about what are the considerations when you're up on that stage getting ready to present, Greg? Well, you know, it's physicality. That's what we, 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 we talk about. It. Why, why is physicality important? Well, number one, your emotions are directly tied to what you're doing with your body at any moment in time. Let me repeat that. Your emotions are directly tied to what your body is doing at any moment in time, and those movements are universal. In other words, when you put your hands above your head in victory, and the sensation you feel putting your hands above your head, breathing like you breathe, looking up, is the same feeling a blind person has who has never seen in their life. They automatically do that, and they don't know why. Hmm. Because that is human expression. It is directly tied to our physicality. So if you stand on stage and don't move your body, your emotional expression is very, very dull. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Now, I would imagine that this is something that needs to be done with intent because obviously you can't be doing calisthenics on the stage while giving an address. Yeah, I, I say, you know, we haven't gotten into voice yet, but your voice drives it. You know, if you, your, your hands, your physicality, your gestures, everything needs to come off your voice. Your voice needs to drive it. And what I mean is when you speak, you should speak in a way that has some melody to it. It just isn't one note the whole time. It'd be a very boring song. You know, you want to move it around a little bit. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, it drives emotion because you have to have emotion to change the different sounds in your voice. That's what gives you the melody. It gives you the melody. You know, melodies create emotion, right? Mm -hmm. And there's physicality that does, has to go along with that. So the thought is, where do I go with this voice? What do I do with it? How do I make it interesting? And then your body should complement that. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, people listening don't have the benefit of seeing this, but I'm watching you explain this, and you are looking at me and speaking with your hands right. while your voice is rising and falling. So your your voice and your body are mirroring one another. Somewhat. Again, you want to relax. Drive your emotions with your voice and let your body kind of emphasize it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, take your, and then also you want to do when you're on stage, especially if you're talking to a large amount of people and there's people in the very back, you have to overdo your emotions. You have to overdo your physicality and it'll look normal back there to you. You'll feel like, well, I'm way overdoing it. But if you don't, they won't get it back. They won't see it, especially facial expressions. You know, with today's high definition and, you know, everybody's plastering, anybody can take a, a video camera and put you on a big screen today in a small hall. Everybody has that technology. Yeah. So that could happen. So you want to have good visual, visual gestures and hand movements and body movements, and you want to emphasize or overemphasize your emotions in your talk. Now, when you coach people to use physicality in speaking, does it make a difference if they are doing a traditional podium speech or if they have an open stage that they're working with? Well, you know, we're going to get into that. I would say podiums, I would rule them out. I wouldn't use them. It's just me. I, I think that, you know, your body is a human expression and a podium takes away two thirds of your expression. Mm-hmm. So I get away, tell them you don't want a podium, just don't use one. You say, well, how do, what do I do about my notes? About What do I do? And, again, that's another podcast yet. We're going to teach you what to do to memorize your talks. But you really want to memorize an outline. And you really want to have 
free flowing. So you've practiced enough that you don't need notes and you can, you can walk that stage and block that stage. Blocking is intentional movement on a stage to create an emotional chain. Mm. Okay. Let me say that again. Blocking is intentional movement on a stage to create emotional chaining. You say, what do you mean by emotional chaining? Well, you just don't randomly have emotions. You know, you build to certain emotions. Like curiosity can 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 get you to surprise, right? Mm-hmm. You know, frustration can get you to anger. Okay? Worry could even get you to hunger. So you build and you chain emotions to get where you want your audience to be. Remember we said what do you want them to think? What do you want them to do? And most importantly, what do you want them to feel? Right. Well, you don't start with the emotion you want to end with. Okay, you could, I guess. I, I shouldn't say that. You could. If However, you could sustain it. Well, you wouldn't even sustain it. You'd take them on a little roller coaster ride. Okay. You know, but what I'm saying is you need you know the emotion you want to get to. You've got to build to it. You just don't stay there the whole time. People would be like, why is he angry this whole entire time? Why is he worried? Why is he, you know, so motivated? I mean, oh, my gosh. So you, you want to build that emotion, and in, in, in your talk, you do that with physicality and voice. Now, I know you've heard this. I've heard a lot of people say when they need to get up in front of others and speak, what do I do with my hands? It becomes a fixation. They don't know what to do with that movement. They know they should be moving, but they're kind of overthinking the mechanics of it. Well, you were, you were a former news anchor. Right. And you're taught to keep your hands in a position right in front. That's because you're sitting at a desk. Right. Right? Yep. And if you have your hands at your side, they go like, what, what's going on? Can't have the hands under the desk. <laughs> right. 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 You got, that's why. So people have taken that saying, oh, I'm in the news anchor position. This is what professionals do. That is if you're sitting at a desk. Right. <laughs> that is not if you're standing in front of a crowd. Because that's pretty boring for a speech. Well, it divides your body in half, number one. Yep. And then some people put their hands in front of their their privates and they're protecting themselves and other ones put them behind their back and there's like deal with it you know (laughs) and and really what you need to do a neutral position for a human being standing is at your sides hands at your sides relaxed Mm -hmm. that's a physicality that people go oh they're intended to be here they have confidence right Mm -hmm. you know when you put your hands you fold your hands you cross your arms that gives off different emotions Right? Right. And what you want is a neutral position where people have to deal with you as a human being. They're like, oh, my gosh. You know, so you'll walk out on that stage. You have your hands at your side when you get there. And just look at the audience. And if you really want to be brave, count to ten. And look around and find the friendly face. Because once people know you're there, they've got to deal with you, now you become the gladiator. Now you become the hero of the day. Find that friendly face and start your talk. And hopefully with a story. Absolutely. And I can tell you from personal experience that both of those things, the starting with the pause and the keeping your hands at neutral, it can it, it looks great. It looks natural and relaxed and confident, like you said. If you're just trying it for the first time, it's going to feel a little weird. Yeah, it'll freak you out because most of us diminish ourselves. Most of us diminish ourselves. We, we reduce ourselves. And people really don't like that. You think they do, but they really don't. You know, when somebody's diminishing themselves, you kind of like, kind of go, whoa, whoa, whoa. you kind of, it's kind of like, is the, is the ice thin here? Are we going to fall through? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's not, you know, it's a shared space. It's a shared energy. So when you're taking or pulling away from it, it's affecting me too. Sure. And now you, you're distracted. Right. And so, and you can be, you can be confidently wrong. You really can. Yeah. You know, hey, I wasn't right. Big deal. Okay, you don't have to go, oh, you know, I'm not really smart. It's, you know, I don't really know, you know, and, and lower your voice and diminish your. Don't do that. Nobody likes it. Don't do that on stage. Don't apologize for yourself on stage. You're there for a reason. You're invited for a reason. You, you have just as much right to stand there as anybody else in the world. You, you are a human being, and darn it, let them deal with that. That's a really good point. And, and people will appreciate that. Mm-hmm. If you respect yourself, and you respect them, guess what's going to happen? They're going to respect you. They're going to listen to you. They're going to give you a chance. Which is exactly what you're looking for when you're in that room. Absolutely. 
when you practice a speech, do you actually practice the movements that go with it, this physicality? If you're well, I, I do a dry run, and usually I have someone. You know, you 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 watch me, sure, and you say this worked, that didn't work, but I just run it. I just run it and let it happen. We, you have certain strong emotions in your talk. That space you create, those movements you create, become embedded in that space. So if you start doing other parts of your story that are unrelated, it'll get that space will get confused. So you have to move away from that space. And a great pattern that most professionals use is a Z pattern. You know, you start you start on the right hand side, right? Mm-hmm. You make your introduction. You walk to the left, all right, and then you walk back to the right, and you walk back to the left, and you walk back to center, and you finish your speech. So like a Z pattern. Okay. There's others where you start in the middle, you go to the right, you make your three to five points along every time you make a point, you you move to the left and then you go back to the center slightly in front when you finish and conclude. That's another way. But watch people, watch pros move. Even behind a podium, they're moving from, you know, their right to the left because your right to the left is from the past to the future. It's opposite. You know, the one thing, and that's another thing that's a huge dilemma, is people talk about the past, yeah, and they're using their left hand. Well, when you're speaking to the audience, that's their future. So it's conf- mentally confusing, and they don't even realize it. So you always want to make sure you, you know, the right hand is, for them, is, let's see, that would be their right. past, the right is the past, and the left is the, the future. future. And that's also how you want to move across the stage. And move around the podium. So if you're doing a talk that has chronological steps, you're moving yeah. from right to left so that you're going from the audience's left to right. Right. Like in, in America. In America. Right. In America. American audience. Amer- you know, that that's true. It's not true everywhere. It's true here. Okay. Okay. So depending on what country you're from or who you're speaking to within the country, you want to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. But again... You don't want to give your whole speech in one in the same spot because it becomes muddled. Even if it's a slight movement behind the podium, you want to move around slightly. You want to inch around or work around the podium as you conclude a point or conclude an emotion. Yeah. If nothing else, it could help you with engagement because if you're moving across the stage, you're mm-hmm. able to engage different members of the audience and really draw them into the speech. So hold eye contact with as many people as possible. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good point. All right. Well, that's physicality, which is definitely an element you want to introduce if you want to speak like a pro. That Mm -hmm. takes it up to the next level. Do Yeah, next week I think we're going to talk about voice. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, for next week, I was was wondering if you already had in mind what you wanted to go with. Uh, So we're going to do voice next week. I think we have to, yeah. Yeah, we're going to go into voice. Okay, and and we'll have to figure out what element, because really, voice work, we could do – all kinds of work on there's there's a lot of different considerations when it comes to voice. There is, but I think the basics of well, I don't want to say don't give it away, much. don't yeah, give it away, much, right. but we'll, we'll hit that next week. All right, if you want to hear that, join us next week on Speak Like a Pro.